another episode of the ladies room as always my uh, fantastic co-host is jane mcmanus and i am julie decaro we are here to talk about sports with you guys and um we're gonna start with a sort of sports story jane i am i've hit the wall when it, i say that i say this like every episode i'm like i hit the wall on something i, I it never is true Uh, but uh so we're, we got news this morning that johnson and johnson is pausing the vaccine because six people out of 7 million have had blood clots that they think are related to the vaccine. So that was the news this morning. Um, that came on the heels of yesterday um, when we found out that the Cubs cannot, the Chicago Cubs cannot get to the 85% threshold to relax their COVID protocols, procedures, whatever, because the players don't want to get vaccinated because they're a bunch of anti-vaxxer idiots. And, and and I say this about a team that I've loved since I was a child. Um, the wife of Eric Sogard, Casey Sogard, was on Twitter last night. Not only is she liking racist tweets about Chicago, but she's also a huge anti-vaxxer. And I, you know, from the beginning of this freaking pandemic, I've had people who care more about their kids' sporting events than they do about the 600,000 people that are dead. Um, All these stupid anti-vaxxers all over Facebook and everywhere else. And I am so tired of it. And to me, you know, David Ross, the manager of the Cubs, keeps saying, you know, well, every guy's got to make the decision that's right for him. No. You're supposed to make the decision that is right for you and society at large, which is getting vaccinated. I've really, I've, I've had it. I'm super aggravated this morning. I totally see where you're coming from. And I think it's frustrating because we know just how much influence uh, a team or a player can have on national attitudes about something like this. They really do serve a role. I mean, the fact of the matter is sports came back in the pandemic and set the tone for a lot of youth leagues. And now we have you know, what the Washington Post just did a story last week on how a lot of these youth tournaments, sports tournaments are unfortunately responsible potentially for a lot of the spread through the contact tracing. And, you know, we just, sports and the variant may be more spreadable through sports than the, than the original virus that we were dealing with. You know, there are a lot of ways that sports intersect with what is happening in a pandemic. And one, it could be the way that different figures are able to, different players are able to persuade uh, people to feel comfortable with a vaccine. Now, I mean, the fact of the matter is that these vaccines are available under emergency use authorization. So it's a little bit different than the measles vaccines that's been around for a long time. And I do understand the reticence uh, to a certain degree, but at the same time, you know, these side effects are really statistically very, very rare. And the odds that you would have something like this, it's, you know, go buy lottery tickets and sit around in a lightning storm because you're probably better off. You have a better odds of getting that. But, you know, I do, you know, the thing is like, 
if you have a healthy person who's about to do something, you do want them to feel comfortable with the vaccine. And I wonder if there are ways that, you know, Major League Baseball and different entities can, you know, and I, and I've been saying this throughout the whole pandemic and all of my dreams have always been dashed, but get together and do some sort of campaign about, you know, a PSA about, you know, have the people who've taken the vaccine stand up and say, here's why I did it. And, you know, and, and this, this is what happened to me. And I felt like this and, and I, here's, here's why I believe that it's important to play, you know, do your part so we can all be healthy in the future. Well, and here's my, I do not blame at all marginalized people through, because of a history of racism that is baked into this country are don't, do not trust the government to inject things into their bodies. Like certainly there is a portion of the population that has earned the right to be skeptical. I am talking about freaking white privileged wives of major league baseball players who, or NFL players, because I God, I'm I'm so mad. I can't even think of the guy's name. What? <laughs> you're like, you're like, count backwards from 10, Julie. Count yeah, like I, I know. I like I'm so I'm so aggravated by it. And and people who, you know, the people who this is gonna be a great tweet. I'm gonna tweet this as soon as we're done. The people okay. who want everything to go back to normal immediately and don't want to wear masks, but also don't want to get vaccinated is a flat circle. And I don't know what fantasy world you're living in. This is a pandemic, it's not going to disappear. We are going to be stuck with this until we fix it. And I just, you know, I, I once again, I'm sitting in my closet doing this stupid podcast. I work for a place whose office I've never been to. I don't see my friends. I don't see my family. I've got another 10 days to go before I'm fully vaccinated. Like some of us are playing by the rules and trying to do our part to, to have this thing end. And then we just have all these freaking selfish people. Ah. Well, you know, and maybe the way to sell it though, Julie, is like, you know, because, because, you know, knock on wood, I am, I am fully vaccinated and I, I can see my dad who's also fully vaccinated and I can hug him and tell him how much I love him. And I don't have to worry that I'm getting too close to him. And I don't have to worry that, you know, that the odds are much lower when I, you know, I was able to see family for Easter and, um, you know, and I have a, a one and a half year old baby cousin who I adore. And, you know, and like, these are the ways that you talk to, up to people about it, I think, because it's not just, you know, stop being so selfish. It's also like, you know, you can, and, and the thing is you can do those sorts of things without risk in the same way. You don't bring the risk to a situation in the same way if you're vaccinated. And hopefully, I mean, that's what it looks like the research is telling us. And it's not as risky to you personally, obviously, to get together with someone else who is vaccinated or, um, and, and, you know, I think it's, it's talking about the benefits and it's talking about it. And, and this is what really has been, I think they're doing those things anyway, because they just don't care. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's very frustrating. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I, I feel like it's easier for me to, to try to understand people's motivations. If I can understand people's motivations and, and how to address that, then it makes me feel like, okay, you know, I just, I don't like feeling like people are unreachable and like we're at an impasse and forever, you know, the, and for, it's going to be January 6th forever and people are going to be marching on the Capitol and, you know, somebody's going to be telling me they don't need to wear a goddamn mask or, you know, and spitting in my face. You know, I just don't want a society like that. And I, so I'm, I'm like, can we just, is there a way to reach people that, you know, and I do think sports has a role to play in that. Um, but it, you're right. It is. It's very frustrating. And and the thing is, like, you know, a lot of kids aren't going to be able to be vaccinated right away because these vaccines are not approved for use in under 16s. 
And until that happens, um, you know, we're going to be sending kids back into school and, and, you know, they're not without risk. There have been, I think, 3000 young people who have died in this country, um, since the pandemic started of COVID, you know, the group that supposedly doesn't get sick. And I just think that we need to realize that these risks are only going to intensify because the virus is mutating. Yeah. I mean, I, with regard to uh, baseball players, I mean, I remember the Chicago Bears telling Jay Cutler that he could not bring his kids to Soldier Field, to the family room, to the locker room um, until they were vaccinated because Kristen Cavallari is also an anti-vaxxer. Um, wow. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about these like affluent white women with all this, you know, anyway, she also, uh, just to, just to tell you what we're dealing with here, Kristen Cavallari also made chili con queso without actual queso. She used some kind of like nut blend, which is just like, whatever. So that's, that's <laughs> what we're talking about. That's a, just, you know what? I think that's a, probably a better reason to, to really, to just cut her out. Right. Exactly. Right. But, um, why major league baseball cannot just say, if you are not vaccinated, you are not coming to the park. And it probably has something to do with the CBA and God, I have to pull through the whole thing and see what it's like. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, um, it's a use authorization. You, you can't, I mean, I, I don't think any union would ever allow uh, a league to say, or an employer to say, you can't do something until you take this vaccine, which has not gone through the re- the regular process yet. And the reason it hasn't gone through the regular process is because there just hasn't been the time. Right. You know, it's it's not it's not because of the efficacy of this or not, but but these things are legitimate setbacks. You know, the the blood clots with the Johnson and Johnson and the AstraZeneca. I mean, because they do they do t- take a tremendous toll on the public goodwill toward these vaccines. Well, I just want to say to the to the people out there who menstruate, if you if you are worried about getting a heavier than normal period, a more painful period, which is certainly there's a ton of anecdotal evidence out there. It happened to me. It sucks. You'll survive. I'd still rather have that than have COVID. Well, you know, the other thing is like the, the concern over these, these blood clots, it's still the, the incidence of blood clots in these vaccines are still less than they are for the pill for the birth control pill. Right. So we, we, we do say that it's an acceptable risk for women, young women to, you know, to risk blood clots to prevent pregnancy. Um, so, you know, people accept risks all the time. Um, so this is another situation where you, you know, it might just be that the risk of that is ever so slightly higher, but still a lot, a lot lower than in other things that we regularly accept. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And this is what I saw this morning about COVID. This is from a doctor who says, I'm constantly humbled by COVID-19 and the spectrum of diseases it can cause. Yesterday, I learned it can cause virus-associated, necrotizing, disseminated acute leukinocephalopathy, which leads to brain atrophy and cystic necrotizing cavities. Necrotizing means dying. So it can literally eat your brain. I'll take the vaccine. Thanks. Well, the thing is, like, have we have we done enough? Have we done enough reporting around some of of the experiences of the people who've had it? Because I, I do feel like we, you know, there there have been stories on long COVID and stuff, but did people understand what the risks of get? I I do feel like we don't understand the, what the risks of getting it really are. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, let's all right. Let's get to our guest, uh, who's going to be great, and will take my mind off freaking COVID for the next few minutes. We'll be right back. Joining 
us now in the ladies' room is the one and only David Barry. He's a professor of economics at Southern Utah University. He's written a whole bunch of books. And in addition to that, he is, I think, most people's go-to when we write about issues um, involving women's sports and the revenue and the finances and everything, because no one that I know knows more about this than David Barry. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for having me. So I guess we should start off where uh, the question everyone's asking me um, when I've been doing interviews about it lately, and I don't have any answers, and I, I thought that maybe you would have the answers, of what do we do about the women's NCAA tournament? Obviously, we saw the disparity in the facilities, the food, the COVID tests, uh, you know, over the course of the past couple of weeks, but it also seems like it is incredibly undervalued as a revenue stream for these women in their own right. Yeah, it's a it's a theme. Uh, women's sports are consistently undervalued. Uh, you see this with uh, NCAA women's basketball. You're seeing it right now with NCAA volleyball. Uh, you see it with the WNBA's television deal. Uh, you see it with the television deal that U.S. women's soccer has gotten in the past. Uh, you see it every time they uh, uh, produce a jersey for a woman and it sells out in a day. They undervalued it. They didn't produce enough. They do this over and over and over again. And it's 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 a it's the problem is that when it comes to sports, the decision makers often are men. Uh, the the NCAA the woman who runs the NCAA women's basketball reports to the man who runs NCAA men's basketball. Uh, the WNBA reports to the NBA. Uh, and so it's just this chronic theme where the men are the ones making the decisions. The men are the ones who undervalue uh, what these things are because the men, uh, at the end of the day, uh, don't follow women's sports and don't care about women's sports. The men who are involved in sports, this is a this is a different kind of business uh, than most businesses. Uh, if if you graduate from college and let's say you go work for enterprise rent a car picking just some company i think it's really hard for you to argue in your interview you know why are you applying for the job well i've been a fan of enterprise rent a car my entire life i mean this has been my life i wear your clothes everywhere i go because i love enterprise i mean that's not why you're getting a job you're getting the job because it's a job i i need a job i need you to pay me money to do something why do you work in sports Almost everyone who works in sports will tell the same exact story. I, I'm working in sports because I love sports. I've, I follow sports my entire life. It's what I think about. It's what I do. Um, but when it comes to the men making decisions and who are working in sports, it's only the men's sports that does this for them. Um, the, the way uh, I, I put it with people is uh, when it comes to sports, men very much fantasize about men. Uh, they don't seem to have the same attitude about women. <laughs> it's a funny way of putting it. Um... And I wonder if you could maybe get into some of the economics behind this, because I think uh, part of the issue, particularly with the NCAA and with U.S. soccer, I, probably less so with the WNBA and the NBA, but, but part of the issue is that a lot of these broadcast contracts, contracts for apparel, are tied up together so that you can't actually tell the exact revenue that the women are bringing in, although it does allow you to make assumptions about that revenue being a lot lower. Well, I, I do know from the from the from the WNBA that the television deal is was was negotiated by the NBA, and we know what it is. It's twenty five million dollars a year, and we know that when men were negotiating the Major League Soccer deal, 
um, Major League Soccer gets lower television ratings than WNBA, and that deal was $90 million. So that's yeah. that when the NBA was doing the negotiation for the WNBA, they undersold it. They didn't demand very much for this. Um, and I would suspect if we go and look at the deal, the WNBA, the NCAA women are getting for their television deal, it's, it's a similar story. That if you look at the ratings and you look at the dollars um, and you look at similar properties that get similar ratings, you would say, well, you seem to sell that at a pretty low price. And I, I, I think the men who are doing these negotiating, their attitude is, well, I don't think it's worth very much. I, it's really hard to sell a product if you personally don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. I, just, I know that, for example, I, I know that when the WNBA was negotiating with the NBA in their last CBA, you know, part of the ground rules when they were discussing uh, the, the negotiations in public was the, NBA, the WNBA said, look, you can't denigrate the product in public anymore. You can't go out there and say, oh, well, you know, nobody likes women's basketball anyway, and we're constantly having to deal with these women. And, and, and if you start the negotiation by putting down the product, well, then you make it so that the product does have less value, right? Because you're telling people you don't care about it. it it's so nice that they started there because that was the issue I kept raising when I was writing at Forbes is they kept doing that. Um, it, it is the case if you've written about the, and I, I'm sure you've, you've both had this experience. If you write about the WNBA, you would actually get a call from the public relations people at the NBA, and they would insist on telling you the WNBA doesn't make any money. And they would insist on that being put in articles. And I'm like, who would insist on that? I mean, that's an insane attitude for a business to insist. If you're going to write about my business, you better tell people it's failing. Uh, that's that's bizarre. Why would you do that? And and the, the NBA would do that consistently. Uh, and and and, I, and my response, yeah, my response, that was not just that I think that's a bizarre way to, uh, my other response was, I also don't believe you. I don't believe you that it doesn't make money. I, I find that hard to believe, given what you're paying the players, that this is not a profitable venture. Um, so I, I find your story to be unbelievable. And since it was coming from the NBA, who also insists that many NBA teams lose money, uh, that's why I was also suspicious that I think you're making this up because you keep making this story up no matter when you talk about sports. Um, so, yeah, so, th- th- yeah, they, 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 the denigrating of the product, that's a, you know, and, and you saw the same thing with, with, uh, with U.S. soccer. That was, that was mm-hmm. the whole, last year. They, 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 they were, they what part of their, 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 uh, legal argument was the women aren't that good. You're like, who says that? <laughs> Why <would> you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, David, the, the, the thing I was getting, and I guess Draymond Green put this out there when he came out and made his incredibly stupid comments that Megan Rapino uh, rightfully slapped him down for, um, you know, I have so many guys say to me, well, then make as much money as the guys. And then maybe you can, you know, have the same kinds of salaries or, um, you know, like get more people to watch. And then, but the, the point is that there has been 25 years more of an investment more than that, I mean, in the, in the NBA than there has been in the WNBA. Um, and, you know, as late as 1982 or 83, I think the NBA was on the verge of bankruptcy. So it's not like, you know, from the beginning, the NBA was a cash cow and the women are out there screwing it up for them. Like they're, you know, I think in a better place than the NBA was 25 years on from their inception. Yeah, that's exactly what the data says. So the WNBA averages about 7,000 fans in attendance after 25 years. That's a little bit more than where the NBA was at. Uh, when the NBA started, um, if you, if, now we know this from congressional testimony. They were asked to testify to Congress 
in uh, in the 1950s. And so they released their financial data at that time. Uh, the NBA in the 1950s, uh, the entire league brought in a million dollars in revenue, um, which is about $15 million today. So they're about one fifth the size of the WNBA today when it started. Even then, though, they were paying their players 35 to 45% of their revenue was going to the player salaries. Uh, WNBA players, even after the last collective bargaining agreement, are doing that well. Um, and so, and it wasn't because those players were doing as Draymond Green says, you know, they were they're going out there and insisting that, you know, you pay us what we want to get paid. And, and let's, they weren't doing any of that. I mean, that's they, they're the, the initial union that Bob uh, 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 Cozy uh, put together back in the 50s, the NBA didn't even recognize it was a union for like two or three years. They wouldn't even talk to them. That's how much bargaining power they have. And we're not even going to talk. <laughs> So, and even then, even on a union, they were still paying 35 to 45% because men are willing to pay men um, and they're not as anxious to pay women. Uh, and so that's, and, and so that's, that's the thing about all this. It, it's, it's the, the attitude is so different is that the men making these decisions are making these decisions because they have an emotional attachment to what men are doing. Two other men. <laughs> and, yeah. You can't sit there. They just don't have the same attitude about women. It, it's it, we, the thing. Here's the test. When Mark Emmert is is out there um, talking about how he wants equity, here's the first question: Are, are you even at these women's games? Do you even show up? Mm -hmm. are you there? It, it doesn't seem like he's there very often. Uh, well, and I do think there's also this idea. You know, you talk about the attitude difference um, because women were never valued as athletes. And they're a men's organization, a men-focused organization like the NCAA or U.S. soccer allows them to have a field. There's this, the sense that, well, these women should be gr grateful for that because we don't really value them as athletes anyway. Exactly. That's the other attitude they have. Yes. Yeah, your women ought to be grateful. We gave you something. You ought to be happy. Yeah. And see, the whole thing is, I think people have to have a big picture about this. Uh, men historically actively discriminate against women. Uh, they wouldn't let them play sports. They banned them from playing sports. Uh, and so that that's where the history begins. Um, and then after they they went from banning them, they went from complete neglect where their attitude was, if you want to play sports, fine, but you do it on your own. Um, and then Title IX passes in the United States and suddenly, OK, you got to give resources to these women. You actually have to try. And they and and the attitude towards Title IX is we do the bare minimum to make it look like we are somehow complying with this, even though technically we're not. Uh, well, and, and fighting the law the whole way. I mean, there's yes. you know yes. Title IX has been under, and it was never intended to apply to athletics to begin with. So yeah. the whole the whole thing is kind of an accident of history in some ways, even though we look yeah. at it as this great progressive achievement. It, yeah, it, it it was not. Yeah, it, it was not. It was not considered. Yeah, that's exactly what how that happened. And. And, 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 and this, you know, and the same thing happened when they started professionally. I think David Stern very much, um, he had very good intentions. He was, he yeah. thought, you know, he had a, a vision of if we can get a women's league started and it's successful, um, we're going to bring in more women into basketball in general. Uh, it's going to be a bigger fan base for everybody. Uh, and he essentially twisted these men's arms to make them start it. And you look, you look at what happened to the teams that failed initially, the, the men were bailing on this as quickly as they could. Mm. Uh, and, and they would say, well, we're losing money. You're losing money. What are you, what are you losing? What, a million dollars? You just wasted $10 million on some backup shooting guard. You don't even play. Well, why? You can't possibly think 
that any money you're losing in the WNBA is all that significant, given the amount of money that you're wasting on things in the NBA that aren't doing anything for you. Uh, you know, this is this is a, a, a point somebody made a few days ago to me is uh, if you know how the ABA uh, eventually uh, merged with the NBA, part of that deal was the 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 St. Louis ABA team made a deal. They were going to get two percent of the NBA's TV deal. That deal cost the NBA $850 million before they settled with them. $850 wow. they wasted on a St. Louis team that doesn't even exist. <laughs> and they're telling us, well, the WNBA seemed to lose $12 million. You know how many years you go for $12 million before you get to $850 million? <laughs> So, all right. So let's start with the NCAA. I mean, I, um, you know, I, Jane and I both have been, you know, daughters of Title IX that, you know, grew up playing sports. And, you know, it for a while, I think it, it feels, at least to me, it felt like, you know, things were pretty comparable. I played with the boys and then got to a certain age and started playing with women. And then, you know, you get to college and all of a sudden sort of a door slams in your face. Um, we have a lot more, you know, opportunities now for women in sports and scholarships and, you know, things like that. But if you were in charge of the NCAA, what changes do you make to start bringing the women, at least in, in basketball and soccer, um, you know, the major sort of revenue sports, bring those up to where the men are? I think it's got to be the case that you look at this and say, um, if we're going to put on any sort of event for the men, it's got to be a comparable experience for the women. you got to make it exactly the same thing. And you certainly have the revenue to do that. There, there's no reason why you can't do that. Um, and no so, women's basketball decal on the floor. Yeah, you got to make it so that. And, and one thing I would I would love the NCAA to do is make it a standard that in broadcast, in the way officials talk about it, if you say, um, if you talk about uh, women's basketball and you put women before you say basketball, then you put men before you say men's basketball. It's right. not. It's it. We have got to get away from this idea that the men are the default. I mean, it, it, you see this constantly on on television, where they'll say uh, women's volleyball is being broadcast, women's gymnastics is being. I'm sorry, you don't show men's volleyball, and you barely show men's gymnastics. But <laughs> when you show it, they put gymnastics on, and so you turn on television. Oh, gymnastics on. Oh, that's men. I didn't want to watch men. And, and they do that. <laughs> You're like, why are you doing that? Why are you making men the default every single time? It's not the default. Men are not the default. Uh, we've got to get away from that. If you're going to put women before a sport, then you put men before the sport. you got to do that. you got to get people to stop thinking that way. I wonder also if you were looking at the broadcast deals, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're pretty different. And I did notice on CBS there were a couple of times where I did hear men's basketball tournament when obviously CBS has had the men's tournament forever and doesn't even broadcast the women's tournament. So I was gratified to hear that occasionally. Um, but at the same time, how would you, because they have such different broadcast deals, one with ESPN, which I think, you know, arguably has a greater reach for the sports fans in some ways than CBS does, even though it's network TV, just because when people tune into ESPN, they are looking for sports and they know what they're going to get. What would you do differently with their broadcast deals to kind of create a more equitable situation. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Um, what, you know, beyond negotiating a deal that that's better and beyond making sure that you're, you're making it equitable, how you announce this. Um, it, it's, it's, it is the case that the ratings are bigger for the men's event. So you'd expect there to be, um, so there's going to be those differences right now. Um, 
So I, I don't know what else you can do um, other than point out inequities that can be fixed with the revenue that we have. Um, mm. I know that there's that there's a lot of other things that we can do. Um, it, it certainly should be the case that the production value on the sporting event should be similar. Um, you, you could at least insist on that. Uh, it, it, there's a real problem right now in terms of uh, the women's volleyball tournament, which, by the way, women's volleyball is a phenomenally huge sport. It's the fifth biggest sport in college sports. Or for it, it, the, the top sports are men's football, um, men's basketball, women's basketball, um, men's uh, women's softball, men's baseball, and then then volleyball. I guess it's, it's six stuff. Uh, and so women's volleyball is, in, is 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 right up there, and and they're not even they're not even having broadcasters for the opening round of the tournament. I mean, who does that? That's ridiculous. Uh, you couldn't find broadcasters. Yeah. So yeah. That, that you know that just seems that kind of thing. You know, it's what you just get a sense from the NCAA is that they're just always reacting. They're they're always waiting for someone to come along. And go, you know what? Why didn't you do that? And they're like, oh, we didn't think of that. And that's. How incompetent are you about this job? Yeah, it's really bad. And, and, you know, we, Jane and I talk a lot on this show about the fact that, you know, women in the sports space, whether it's on the court or whether it's in the broadcast booth or, you know, uh, whether it's in the clubhouse on a beat um, are sort of, you know, we're just continually marginalized and continually um, sort of pushed out of the space or, you know, not quite accepted in the space. How does the women that we see, you know, around in, in the broadcast, um, aside from the athletes, what can we do there to, to try to normalize, I guess, women being in the space? Well, I, I, it's got to be, we got to get to a point where it's not the case that 90% of the sports media are men um, and 95% of the coverage goes to men. And the, that is that is not driven by revenue, and that's not driven by talent. Uh, one of the things that I would like people when and I, and I talk to this when I talk in my classes about discrimination uh, is I think people have got it. We often when we talk about discrimination. We focus on how the group that is marginalized that is being discriminated against how they are being treated. I think we also have to have a thought about if a group is is engaged in discrimination. If you're in the group that benefits from this, then that means that some people who are being hired are simply not qualified. There are lots of men being hired in the sports media who, if these jobs were open to everybody and you were interviewing everybody and you were treating all candidates the same, they would not have been hired. No, that's not true, Dave. Come on. I'm sorry. That is true. You know, this is the thing that, that should bother people. Why is it that Candace Parker knows an immense amount about basketball when she's doing those shows? She's clearly studying for these things. Um, and Shaq and Charles don't seem to know anything. They, they, they have trouble knowing the players' names. Why are they not studying? Um, there should be something going on there where people should be calling them out on a regular basis. Did you study for this test? Because this is a test right now that you took. And I'm telling you, you Candace is getting an A, and I'm not sure you're passing. So, well, and it's yeah, I mean, I said yesterday on Twitter, I didn't go into great detail, but I was sort of like, we have got to get more critical media coverage in this town because all I see are a group of men in media, the guys who cover the media, worship the guys who are in the media, and it's all just one big circle jerk that I'm tired of looking at. Yeah, we're listening to right. That's exactly what they do. That's exactly the story. The men don't try very hard, they don't seem to know very much. They're not making any kind of effort. Uh, you know, it's, you know, um, 
Uh, let, let me let me ask you this question. Okay, so before the two of you talked to me today, did you actually spend any time thinking about what we were going to talk about? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I've had interviews with men where they called me up and it was clear they didn't know who I was. Mm. Well, <laughs> well, I knew you grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's what yeah, I knew. See, so you know, yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, I, I've done interviews with with men who called me and I, the, somebody told them, well, talk to this guy because he's like an expert on this. And that was the extent of the research they did. They didn't do anything beyond that. They didn't know who I was. And I'm like, so you're just calling me for an interview, but you don't know what it is you're going to be asking me. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, can you like help me with this story? I don't know who you are, but maybe you, you could say something. I'm like, what, what kind of journalism is that? <laughs> yeah. Don't you have to try, make some effort? You know, there is Google. It, it would have taken you 10 minutes to go look for something. But, you know, it's, yeah, it, there is this sense that you get that a lot of men don't try very hard because they don't have to try very hard. It's it, And I do this analogy in class all the time. If you're running a race and I give you a 50-yard head start, you're not going to try as hard. You don't have to. You're going to win anyways. Um, well, but that's because the sports media, as I see it, is there to do two things. It's there to tell you about the games, but it's also to affirm the values of masculinity and maleness. And so although there are certain people in sports media who are not studying necessarily game per game, um, or, you know, don't have to keep up necessarily for, for former athletes, don't have to keep up with who the current athletes in their sport are. At the same time, while they're there, they're providing that service of affirming maleness and masculine values. And so that is something that, that's the reason that women will never be able to break into that. It's the reason that women lower their voices to call games when they're in, you know, in a, in a, an audio, uh, medium. And, and I think, you know, I, I was talking to a former, to a student, um, the other day who is interested in radio and is like, you know, but I'm listening, whenever I listen to sports talk radio, you know, there are, there are things that I just, I don't have access to. It'll, they'll go left. And, you know, those are the moments where, you know, one of the hosts starts making an analogy of, of something that's happening in sports to dating. And it's always an analogy where it's like, it's like when you want to break up with the girl because she's too clingy or whatever. It's always a, it's always an analogy that makes women look bad or plays on stereotypes about women. And, and this is, I mean, and that's it. It's kind of like the inside the bubble, outside the bubble thing. And, and women will never be inside the bubble. So that's part of the difficulty, I think, with cracking the whole sports media thing. And I think it's part of the reason that women as athletes have never been fully accepted in the space as well. You know, I, I find it really hard to believe in looking at a lot of the men in sports media that they ever broke up with anybody. I just think that. <laughs> Somebody that's great. you and you said no. That's almost impossible <laughs> to believe. I, I, I first want to question the idea somebody wanted to be with you. And then <laughs> if you rejected them, that is a bridge too far. I'm sorry. I'm not seeing it. How how did that happen? Um did she did she see you? <laughs> was, was this purely on was this Zoom dating? Is that what this was? It's it's low hanging fruit, Dave. It's just too low hanging fruit. You shouldn't, you know, you know cuz that's that's the other Don't thing. take the bait. I often see that with these guys. I'm like, "Really? Somebody was dating you. You you had a date. Okay. All right. I'm okay. That's an interesting story." Well, uh, every single it's, one it's of them absolutely has to be true though. Up. It's so true because I I've heard so many women tell me, "I love I want to listen to sports talk radio and I love sports and I know everything about sports, but Every time I tune in, all I hear are guys ripping on women or objectifying women. And I don't want to yeah. be part of that. And it feels like sports talk radio has never really wrapped their mind around how much of the audience they're leaving on the table. 
and they don't care. They'd rather go after, you know, the zero to 15 year old men than they would go after women. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's very true. I think that is very true. And, and, and that's and that's why I, I just, yeah, you know, that's why I really want to uh, get a point where we normalize the idea that in sports, men are just fantasizing about men. I want them to think about it that way. Men, you're fantasizing about men. I want you to say, now go back to this whole idea of someone breaking up with you and think about what you fantasize about all the time. Maybe that's part of the issue. Um, so well, and they're also it, it, advertising to men is another yeah. thing. The, the financial model totally benefits that. Yeah, it's, 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 and you're right. They're leaving a big market on, they're leaving a big market on the table. You know, it, it, it does seem like there would be a, when you think about sports fans, about 60 million women uh, are, are, are self-identified as sports fans. In this country, and you're not addressing that market very well at all. And that does seem like there's a huge market that's being left out of the conversation. Um, and and it, it does seem like their attitude is, I'd rather give up the money and keep uh, doing the things I'm doing um, than try to reach out to that audience. Um, let me, before we get, let you go, I have one question about what I think is a pretty successful league for women. And that's women's tennis, the WTA tour. And, you know, as we know that soon after title nine, uh, Billie Jean King was able to convince a group of women to break off and start their own league. And I think, you know, it's financially, it's the most successful league for women. And, um, certainly in terms of, I think, profile of the athletes, we're super familiar with, Serena Williams and Venus Williams and, you know, all the way back to Jennifer Capriotti and Monica Sellas and uh, Machina Navratilova, who's been on this show. Um, why do you think it is that a league for women, it, it's that, does that prove that, that women's sports can be successful in some ways if run by women? Oh, there is, there is lots of proof that women's sports can be successful. It's not just women's tennis. Uh, U.S. women's, the, the biggest soccer match in, in U.S. television history involved U.S. women. Um, U.S. women at the Olympics is a huge thing. Uh, this is, this is, this is, you know, and if you look at tennis, tennis has been around as a major sport since the 1970s, at least so that's 50 years. And it is phenomenally successful. And I think when we look at that, then we got to say, okay, now imagine the WNBA after 50 years, imagine national women's soccer league after 50 years or national pro fast pitch after 50 years. All of these leagues are going to look like that, are going to look exactly like the men's leagues in the future. We're going to we're going to look back on our conversations that we're having right now uh, where we talk about, you know, why can't women's sports get the same kind of attention? People are going to look back on these conversations and go, I don't understand how that didn't happen. Why did why weren't people talking about Elena Deladon and Candace Parker? Why weren't they elevated at the same level as Michael Jordan? And, and you will be telling people when we're really old, I'm telling you, they didn't. And like, of course they did. They're 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 famous people. They're Hall of Famers. They're of course they did. In the same way, people think somebody actually saw Oscar Robertson play basketball, but they didn't. <laughs> right, right. Oh, Dave, thank you so much for coming on and for uh, you know enlightening all of us and 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 uh, validating things that Jane and I have known and suspected for a long time. It's great to hear it from someone else, just so we know we're not crazy. You're definitely not crazy. I'll tell you that. Definitely, you're not. Well, or we may be, but it maybe it's not. not you know, but that's not a, that's not proof that we're crazy. There are other things. Correct. <laughs> so you can follow David on Twitter, which you definitely should do at Wages of Wins. Uh, he's got a couple great books out too. Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. 
that was a great interview. Dave is uh, a terrific guy. I'm so glad that we were able to get him. Uh, Jane, before we go, I know that we had been chatting before the show started about Deshaun Watson. Yeah, we have been because there was, uh, you know, in addition to dozens of accusers who filed lawsuits now, additional women who've come forward, uh, both to both to say something like this happened to me and also to say this didn't happen to me, which, you know, as we know, is fairly irrelevant because, you know, if you're on trial for murder, but you didn't murder other people, it doesn't right. mean that you didn't right. murder the person you murdered. Um, but but anyway, the one thing that they came across uh, the, my Twitter feed this week uh, was that the Houston Chronicle has, quote unquote, parted ways, I believe was the way it was said. Uh, with Aaron Wilson, Wilson, who was the the Chronicles um, Texans writer. And it's for comments that he made in the situation regarding uh, Watson and the alleged harassment um, of women. And, and part of it was that he said that he thought that these women were, it was a money grab or that they were like terrorists or something. Um, and And there was a time, I think, when this would have been fine. When it would have been, well, you know, sure, we can think that now because he hasn't been uh, he hasn't been convicted officially. But but I think more and more places are starting to realize that you cannot have a beat writer who is going to reflexively uh, deny every bad thing that might come across about a player that you how much reporting is uh, someone like Aaron Wilson going to do? about a Deshaun Watson when it comes to sexual misconduct, if he feels like uh, women are out for money. Yeah. And, I, and this is a problem we've had in sports journalism since the dawn of time. Right. Well, the thing I always say is why are your sports writers covering this? You know, I mean, there are, certainly there are sports writers out there, largely women who have done the research and have the experience in these topics to be able to cover them properly. But, you know, I'll never forget back when Katie Nolan was hosting Garbage Time. Um, she made a comment how on one of the NFL, one of the NFL games, it must have been like Thursday night football or something. Like, why are you throwing it to like Jim Nance and Chris Sims to address domestic violence? Well, in, in the I NFL, you know, that, I see that as a point, but I do think you should demand more of the people who cover these teams as well, that they are to be journalists and not just, you know, breaking down the defense kind of people because well, yeah. this, you know, because sports are journalism. A lot of times these people are the point people where this information first comes. They're the first people to find out that there's some sort of issue on the team or a charge that's been filed or a situation that's developed. And they have to be able to handle it like grownups, whether it's the story of, you know, a coach getting a cancer. I mean, sure, you could pawn that off to a medical writer, but at the same time, the initial story is generally going to come out of your beat person. And that person has to be an adult enough to be able to look up what type of cancer it is and what that means or what the right. prognosis is, et cetera. Right. And That's so what I, I mean, think- like if I was writing a story about someone's like labrum surgery, I would either talk to an expert or I'd spend a ton of time educating myself and looking things up before I write the column. But when 100%. it comes to this stuff, it's like these guys are just like, oh, fire off some hot takes about like, these are not your friends. You're not covering your friends. And I said, you know, just I randomly threw it out there on Twitter because I was so aggravated. Like, we need better sports. We need better coverage of the media in this town, because like the media coverage in Chicago is everyone talking about their friends. And, and right. that's it. And, and there is no objectivity. Yeah. I mean, I was appalled. Um, he came to my. He came on my radar, I guess. 
attention. That's the word I'm looking for. He came to my attention because of Jessica Luther's thread about him on Twitter, which was bang on. I wound up writing about Deshaun Watson and how not to talk about cases like this. But it's just kind of amazing to me that, that like, you know, when it comes to the dynamics of trauma and sexual assault and domestic violence, like everybody thinks they're an expert. And the the, the hubris of thinking you're an expert. Well, and the, it's not just, it's not just, they think they're, they may think sometimes that the story is beneath them or that it's not on their beat or it's not something that they should be covering. And I, and I do wonder, you know, it, it's not just if you have a beat person who thinks that, that they don't cover that story. Sometimes it means that story is never covered, that that story does not break the surface of, you know, what is, you know, what's reported. Because if, if you are dealing with somebody who feels like Deshaun Watson is such a great guy and, you know, and he may have been in your interactions. Again, if he didn't assault you, that doesn't mean he's not somebody who assaults other people. Um, but he may, you, you can't be so enamored of him that you don't go out and report news about and you don't talk to people about allegations. Exactly and, right. You know, and the bury your head in the sand uh, method of reporting when it comes to these stories has been going on again forever and ever. And I was gratified to see that, you know, albeit very late in the game, that the Chronicle decided that they needed a reporter who was willing to report all the stories on the team. Well, you know, it's funny because I sort of came up um, in this industry in the six years that I've been here um, during the Chicago Blackhawks big run and uh, realized pretty quickly that I did not like many of the people on that team. Um, because of the way they behaved behind the camera and, you know, when the radio mic was off. Um, but it's funny because women are the ones that get accused all the time of wanting to be in sports to be around the athletes. But I, I think it's one of those projection things, you know, like I, once I started meeting athletes, I, I was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> these, these people are not for me by and large. I mean, there's some great guys out there. Like I think Devin McCourty is one of the best guys I've ever met. Like there are some great people out there, but athletes by and large are just like everyone else. And there's good people and there's bad people. And there's some people you just don't ever want to talk to. And, um, but I think it's the men who are much more like want to pal around with the athletes than the women do. Yeah. And I, and I can remember having conversations back when I was covering the jets, there were players that I genuinely liked and got along with. And I remember was joking around with one and we were talking to one and, and, um, and he, and he, you know, and he was like, yeah, you know, you think I'm funny. And I said, yeah, just, but if you get in a, you know, if you get into a, an accident and you get a DUI, I'm going to cover the hell out of it. <laughs> you yeah, know? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So, so, I mean, I think that's the understanding is, yeah, you, you can, you know, there are people that you can like, and you can think they're good people and you can have gone to their fundraisers and covered that and met their parents and, you know, talk to their, talk to them about, you know, the upbringing and, and how important it is that they have these, you know, these values and this leadership and all of this. But, you know, if someone gets a DUI, you gotta, you gotta be in there with your pen and your paper yep. um, because that is part of your job, whether they're a good person or not, even good people do bad things. And part of your job is to cover that. So, yep. no, I think that's, um, I think it's, it's important. It's very difficult for me to say to someone who genuinely loves a player, like, oh, what is this person like? I always just sort of let them have their fantasy, you know, but it it was, it was much harder. Um, I, I find it hard not to tell people like, oh yeah, this guy's a real asshole, but it, it was, it's even harder to write about people that you've, you've genuinely liked when something yeah. like bad has happened. And that's part of putting on your grown up reporter pants and covering the story. So the fact that there are like adult men in middle age walking around out there that cannot figure this out 
um, to me is just sort of still baffling. Well, but every time we get one of them out of the industry, I'm happy. Right. I was going to say it should be disqualifying, Julie. And in this case, it was. And that's that's good. So that's good. Congratulations to the UC Chronicle for doing the right thing. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, well, guys, we'll just leave it there. Have you watched anything good lately? Uh, I, I watched the first episode of The Nevers. Oh, how is it? Um, I, you know what? I'll watch it. I'll watch more. I, I like the the cast. They have a, it's, first of all, it's, it's a story about, you know, um, it's basically like kind of an X-Men origin type story, only about a different, a, a different specialness that descends upon certain people and not others and um but the cast is predominantly women yeah really really great women so i will be watching it it's very interesting i saw when i saw the trailers for it i was like yeah i have no idea what's going on there but exactly (laughs) (laughs) but i know that at one point josh whedon i think was involved and then they kicked him out so that makes Um, me want to watch it (laughs) well it's you know it's 18th century london so i'm in yeah 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 yeah, you had me at Women in 18th century London. So Yeah, I'll just start a plug for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which got really good really fast. And it has the added bonus of getting people all upset about the fact that, uh, why do comics have to talk about race? Why can't it just be comics? Yeah, oh, good. That was good. So it's it's upsetting all those people. Yeah. I I, I watched an episode or two of that. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's sort of um, dealing with like Sam and why Sam can't, why he's, you know, everyone loves him and knows who he is, but he still gets pulled over like by the cops all the time. And, <laughs> you know, like talking about what, what it is like to be a black man in America, as far as I know from watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So yeah. I appreciate that. And and you know what, if you're, if you're a person saying that, you haven't read many comic books because I haven't read any comic books. And even I know that that stuff has been involved in comics since the inception. So, you know. Yeah. Just and shout out to Watchmen, which did it so well two years ago. And Beautifully. It's still my all-time favorite series, I think. Yeah, I'm I I was I, you know, I'm really torn because I loved it so much. I really wanted it to keep going, but it ended so perfectly. I know. It was just a perfect season. If you haven't if you haven't watched Watchmen, go watch Watchmen. Yeah. All right, that's it for us. Good um, talking to you, Julie. Yeah, I, I love getting up and sitting on the floor of my closet to scream about anti-vaxxers. That's <laughs> definitely the best part of my day. Yeah. <laughs> You'll do nothing better today. Hey, I got both my kids have appointments this week. Excellent. So I feel like we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Although my one who's away at college, I made the appointment for him. I sent him all the details. Whether or not he makes it there, 50-50. Because <laughs> I sent him... He was home. He was sick. I sent him to get a COVID test to the CVS. I sent him, I texted him everything. You know, here's a picture of your appointment. Here's your, here's your reservation. Here's I think. No, he went to the Walgreens next to the CVS <laughs> and then was like, they don't have an appointment for me. So when he was in high school, I used to do this thing where I'd send him to the, to like the grocery store to pick up something. And then I would tweet and I'd say like, all right, let's see what he comes back with. Yeah. So like one time I sent him to get uh, cashews for something I was making, came back with a bag of combos. And then he was like, what even are cashews? And you can't even, you cannot cook with the combos. They don't go as well in different dishes. That's right. Especially like, you know, Asian dishes, just so that they just don't work as well. Especially the pizza like, ones. Like right. a stir fry, like a yeah. stir fry with snow peas and combos. It's a combo. <laughs> Another time I sent him to CVS to get me a legal pad. He came back with a bunch of labels. And I was like, that I can see that's an easy mistake to make. Right. So (laughs) like I said, it's, it's pretty much 50, 50, whether he actually makes it to this appointment or not, but, uh, yeah, I'm hopeful. 
I would have maybe just send a minder with him, you know, like it's yeah, important. Yeah. This is an important one. So well, he's got one I, guy he lives with who is like the adult who like gets all the money for everyone to pay the bills and stuff. So I'm hopeful that Jose is going to be able to keep everything on track. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, you you need to you need to tweet at Jose about I know. like you know making like all the updates on when the vaccine is happening, etc. Well, I do. I'll text Jose and I'll be like, tell Aiden to answer his phone. You know, like <laughs> yeah, because he'll just like he'll be playing video games and he'll just be like, oh, it's my mom. <laughs> he just puts it down. <laughs> oh, kids! So that's a look in my life. Parent. No, that's true. Uh, so you're you're all welcome for that little glimpse into my world. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right. I have to go to my actual job. See you guys next you're, week. This, this is your actual job. This is, this is your, this is the best thing you'll do all day. I, it, you know what? You're right. That's exactly right. Cause there are guys downstairs installing a new air conditioning unit, which means the rest of my day is going to be letting people in and out of my house when my dogs go crazy. Can't wait. Well, but it does mean that when the next time you tape the pod and you're in your closet, it will not be 150 degrees in there. That is true. The misery of a Chicago summer. Yes, yes. We had like two days that were like 80 degrees. And my kids were like, oh. <laughs> it's like, turn on a fan. Like the AC in my house didn't even work when we were kids. We had four kids. We had a, like a broken down air conditioner that barely worked. Get over it. Yeah. Whatever. Pretend you're in a, a Tennessee Williams play. You know, I mean. <laughs> Uh, Head on a hot tin roof. What, just pouring down? Yeah. Have some iced tea. Put on some lingerie. You know, come on. (laughs) Work with me. All right. On that note, uh, it's time for us to get out of here. Hope that you will read our stuff over at Deadspin and give us a follow on Twitter at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. We'll see you next week in the ladies' room.